If you think I wouldn't jump at the chance for a fairy mandated <laughs> quest into magical fantasy land, you're dreaming, bud. <laughs> like, be like, oh no, not my bud. Oh, oh no. quick, give me that magic sword and that green cape. I gotta go. <laughs> what a shame. Sorry, man. Be right back. Uh oh. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm oh, what a one. chore. <laughs> what a trial. Like, oh, no, it's either this or I have to play poker with the King of the Fae. No, man, I'm taking the quest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Red. I am joined by Indigo. Heyo. And uh, today we are not joined by Blue. Uh, he is Mm-mm. he is currently MIA. Uh, I personally believe that he's off to wedge a second boat in the Suez Canal because we've all gotten a little bit too comfortable this year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, until he gets back from that, uh, it's uh, it's just us, just us gals yes. today. Yes, it's a ladies only stream. Yeah, girls' <laughs> night. Stream podcast. <laughs> girls' night. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Bringing the after dark energy to the podcast. That's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. You all thought that himbo tier list was a test run for streams. No, no, no. No. It was a rehearsal <laughs> for for today. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yes. uh, this week uh, we're talking about two videos that I actually kind of participated in. Actually, uh, unusually, mm-hmm. uh, even Blue's video this uh, this biweekly cycle I had a hand in because that was the. Uh, one villainous scene hybrid detail diatribe massive crossover yes. arranged by our Bud Nando B movies and participated in by quite a number of extremely cool people. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, you uh, absolutely should. We've got uh, the playlist linked in the description of that video so you can check out everyone else's videos. They're all really fun. Definitely do it. Um, yes. And uh, in that video, we discussed one really good scene from Castlevania. A show we discussed Ooh. a lot this week, surprisingly. <laughs> you, uh, yes, it's yeah, come up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, you got a couple comments on the himbo tier list being like, did anyone uh-huh. else register uh-huh. what Indigo said about Trevor Belmont? <laughs> that he's a, a stone-cold hottie? Yeah, yeah you know, he's, well, it's, I he's saw, a fine animated man. <laughs> I believe your line was, um, I saw a hot man drink beer and use whips, and I was like, yup. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. and the uh, comments were like, "Huh, I believe mm-hmm. they're slowly unraveling the uh, the enigma that is indigo." You know, I like to keep them guessing and to throw little breadcrumbs out there for the kids now and then to really course, let them know, like, here's good luck figuring out this uh, this cyberspace we live in. But uh, no, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm curious about the production on the whole one villainous scene series. You know, like this is a second time I think you guys have collaborated with Nando V movies. Yep. Um, you know, what what's that what's that process kinda like? How do you get how do you get pulled into something like this? Well basically we got an email along with a lot of other people <laughs> uh, several months back that was like, Hey guys, I'm doing this. Here's a link to a spreadsheet. Have fun. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it was very much on the DL, you know. The, these mm-hmm. uh, these crossovers generally aren't advertised in advance because uh, it's it's look it's more fun for people if like half their subscriptions drop, you know, just the same kind of themed video all at once, <laughs> and they're like, whoa, whoa. So I, I had some fun actually going through the playlist and seeing how much our audience like crossed over with other people because there were there would be a lot of comments that would be like, oh wow, it's also it, you did this, and also like name, name, and name. And I'd be like, am I in this? Um, uh, but that was cool. Yeah. And basically, uh, the you know, we'd, we'd say what, what scene we wanted to do just generally. Mm-hmm. We'd go through, do it in our own style. Um, our video is probably the longest one in the playlist. I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, but, uh, we, you know, it was fun. Uh, the previous time we collabed, uh, it was for one excellent scene when we were doing mm-hmm. scenes from X-Men movies. And uh, Blue and I each did one ourselves. Uh uh, kind of in the nebulous style of a well trope talk for mine at least uh it was mm-hmm. you know fully scripted i wrote the whole thing out and recorded it and cut the visuals together and all that jazz whereas for this one you know with the detailed diatribe format uh they're unscripted basically mm-hmm. we we each had uh some bullet points that we wanted to hit on when we covered it but then we just kind of sat down freeform recorded it uh blue edited it together and put the visuals in and amazingly they didn't get claimed even once, so we, we finally found the magic formula, we think. Uh, the copyright quite... gremlins have been fended up for another day. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. 
so that was good. That that was really fun. Um, yeah, and uh, people seemed to like that one pretty good, uh, which was which was nice. Uh, and it also uh, inadvertently sparked a meme on Twitter uh, because <laughs> yes. uh, you see there was a comment on that one, uh, which was something akin to like you know when Trevor's running up. He's got the most heroic music playing in his head. And then in Dracula's head, it's just the me channel music as he's getting punched. And I was like, that's a funny visual. I'll edit that together. Two iterations later, I was syncing up Trevor's punches with uh, different music. And uh, <laughs> then uh, Scott Freerix Kaiserneko uh, retweeted that and did his own version like four or five times. And that made it explode a little bit. It was great. Mm-hmm. It was a wild evening. I, I saw so many 10 second snippets of songs synced up to Trevor Belmont punching Dracula in the face. It was awesome. It's what he deserves. You it's know? really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's what he deserves. Um, I feel like when they animated that scene, they knew what they were doing because there's oh, a, yeah. a single frame around each punch of just Dracula's neutral face, which makes it incredibly easy to edit. Like it, it just it resets back to back to the zero uh, just every time, so you can just do whatever you want with it. It's incredible. There's no masking involved. Uh, so anyway, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> and then I had a much more standard video uh, just mm-hmm, a few days ago, mm-hmm. uh, the trope talk on. Queer-coded villains, a topic that I expected to be spicy, and, you know, it was a little bit, but, um, Mm -hmm. like, spicy by the channel standards, which means last time I checked, it was sitting at a a comfortable 98% like-dislike ratio. Oh. (laughs) Which is uh, pretty ridiculous, all things considered. (laughs) I mean, wow. I can't think of a more, like, flame-baity topic title I could have chosen, and, and... Somehow it went well. So that was nifty. Um, Yeah, I mean, I personally was really excited to see that video go up because, uh, you know, you talk pretty extensively about the Hayes Code in it, which is someone who's done a little bit of film studies in my life is something I've encountered quite a bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I... I basically, I knew the term, I'd heard it thrown around, but I didn't mm-hmm. really know the details. I have never been to film school, and uh, all of my media analysis uh, is self-taught, shall we say. So uh, <laughs> this was new to me, <laughs> and as I was reading through it, I was like, wow, we just let people say anything they wanted in 1934, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's but really yeah. interesting, you can, yeah. Hey, well, you go can, Oh, thank you. Uh, you can kind of tell like a, a pre versus a postcode movie. Uh, I, I recently was watching all of the Best Picture uh, Oscar winners in order, mm-hmm. and that meant that I started pre-code and just now in the 1970s have left the code, uh, oh. or at least left the, the heaviest era of influence of the code. Right. And you know, it, 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 it's a little bit different um, because, of course, films that were not shot in the U.S. did not necessarily have to adhere to the Hayes Code so strictly. Hmm. Uh, so you still get some some standouts who notably are a little bit uh, more risque or uh, overt about the vices that their characters are engaged in. But you, you, you go from... <laughs> just pulling up my uh, oh, list yeah. of best picture winners here to, to pull some examples surreptitiously. Yes. You go from Wings, which of course has... Uh, as we discussed on stream recently, to a surprising amount, uh, to <laughs> men who kiss in it, uh, to movies like Going My Way, which is a perfectly fine Bing Cosby musical, but it, it it's just it's just that it's like a musical about a, a priest singing around and doing nothing controversial at all except helping yeah. some young orphans find their love of baseball and choir music. I guess I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and we know how controversial it is to help out those orphans. Mm-hmm. They might not oh. be orphans. I might be misremembering that. Oh. They were ur- urchinous children of New York City. Urchinous children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's basically a character type. Of course, of course. Um, I, I can see the flat cap and suspenders as we speak. Uh, mm-hmm. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And I got to say, reading through, you know, articles, because there's so much about this. And I, oh, yeah. honestly, this was good because I, I could cover what I wanted to cover in the video and then be like, and for further reading, and then just turn people <laughs> loose on the internet. Because I'm not the first person to point out that Captain Hooks may be a little bit swishy, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I was first scripting this, I was, uh, I was explaining what I was writing to a friend of mine. We were hanging out. Um... And I was trying to explain, uh, you know, queer-coded Disney villains specifically. And I was like, but it's, you know, it's hard to nail down 
what constitutes queer coding? And that, that's mm-hmm. the point I want to circle back to. But I was like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's like, it's often that there's just something about them, about like their affect, like, you know, like Scar from The Lion King. And he immediately goes, oh yeah, that lion's gay. <laughs> I was <just> like, <laughs> all right, we're on the same page. Awesome. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, part of the problem is, you know, you'll be reading through these articles and they'll be like, this character from Alfred Hitchcock's uh, uh, Re- Rebecca or something is mm-hmm. uh, oh. is very, very queer coded. And I'm like, how? And like, mm. oh, she's quoted as a, le- uh, coded as a lesbian. And it's like, right, but how? And then you watch the movie mm. and you're like, oh, I get it. But like, mm, I see why you couldn't explain it. Because it's like if the article had to be like, you can see as she makes intense eye contact with the heroine as she strokes her face with this fur coat. I mean, saying it out loud, I think that that makes it pretty obvious. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that... There's all kinds of, of ground to cover. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I always like being able to give rigid definitions for the things I talk about. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. the it's the math instincts. You know, if I can't give a <laughs> give a clear empirical definition, I don't feel comfy writing the rest of the proof. But in this case, I was like, how am I supposed to categorically prove that this character is stereotyped a certain way when mm-hmm. what exactly constitutes a stereotype changes from decade to decade and year to year? So, like... You know, there's all kinds of things. Um, I mean, I I had this pointed out to me that like in film noir, a lot of times like uh, Peter Laurie's villains are uh, are queer coded, and I was like, how? In what way? But it's like, <laughs> well, you see, he's small and well dressed, and his hair is really nice, and it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah. The, the way that, um, for lack of a better word, the, the stereotypes change over time can be really interesting because it makes it really difficult to do any sort of like retroactive analysis uh, of these movies. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we're not that far out from the 1920s. We're we're you know, good hundred years <laughs> or so. But like years? relative to, yeah. if you think about like comparison to a lot of like classic literature, is sort of the right. equivalent field. You know, we're yeah. much farther out from when that was written. But still, this the the stereotypes and the coding that we typically expect has changed. And so it can be difficult to go back and look at, to, not, to be a broken record, to look at the movie Wings mm. <laughs> and say like definitively like, oh, the intent was to code them as having a queer relationship or to say that, no, this is that was not the authorial intent here. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult and tricky space to work in because like you mentioned, there's no clear cut definitions really. And those definitions change over time as well. So it, to yep. add a further layer of confusion uh and and difficulty in that space and there's this this odd little bit that i didn't touch on in the video uh because i think it would be worth a whole other video on its own frankly but the thing is a lot of times (laughs) when authors are queer coding characters i think a lot of the time they don't necessarily realize that's what they're doing uh, and I, I pretty quickly glossed over, you know, there's a there's a picture of data in that video as <laughs> positive ace arrow representation. But like you can tell that the writers didn't think of that because in mm-hmm. episode two, <laughs> the one where everyone gets horny, the obligatory yeah, the Star episode Trek episode of the Star Trek episode. So they have to do all of those like crack ships right then and there to get them out exactly. Of the way. <laughs> and they're like, it makes perfect sense that this completely non-human android would be affected by this weird horny virus in the water. Let's mm-hmm. go. And I was like, uh huh. All right, cool. Um, and it's interesting because every other time that they're writing this character, he comes across as like he he does understand love, kind of, but he doesn't really know that's what he's feeling. And there's no evidence that he experiences physical attraction outside of the specific case of Tasha Yar. Too good for this sinful show. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just, it's like, Gene Roddenberry did not probably know about or consider the existence of Ace and Arrow people, you know? He mm-hmm. his vision of uh the the space future was pretty free loving and horny, all things considered. And uh as I've discussed when I did Stranger in a Strange Land, the vision of a free love and space future frequently doesn't understand consent <laughs> or yes. why somebody might not want to be in a free love and space future. Or, you know, but might might not want to participate in the free loving part of the free mm-hmm. love and space future. Um and so you end up with these characters that are coded to an identity that the author probably didn't realize was a real thing uh, or didn't recognize that that's what it was. Because, you know, as I said in the video, these orientations have always existed, but, you know, they were categorized as other things. Um, lots of people will go as far back as they can to be like, hey, you know, uh, the whole concept of the Hunters of Artemis seems like a really good way for, like, lesbian women and, and ace women to just kind of, and Aero to, to just, like, dip out of that whole part of society and be like nope sorry sworn to artemis get get away <laughs> you know there, those there's always bros, as they say yeah exactly and like 
you know, while, while a lot of those authors who were deliberately queer coding, like, knew about the existence of gay people, but maybe didn't know any in real life, or didn't mm-hmm. know that they knew any in real life, you know, that they'd be writing on a pretty exaggerated stereotype, or, you know. And that that's true for all these orientations, but there are a lot of orientations and, and identities that are just less known uh, in, in wider circles and are only now starting to get mainstream recognition. And even now, you know, there's still more identities that are, like, broadly unknown and so mm. you you can you know you can write a character and not actually realize all the um all the ways that character could easily be read and all the valid interpretations of that character um and even outside of orientation there's a lot of uh characters in literature who could easily be read as neurodivergent in one way or another like mm. like super easily and until like the last decade or so <laughs> i don't think most people would be doing that on purpose uh, but it's like, you know, when, when you have these, these genius characters with special interests who always seem just so, so bored when they don't have something to capture their attention. Yes, this is about Sherlock Holmes. And it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, that's a big old ADHD mood, but, uh, I feel mm-hmm. like the author probably didn't realize that. Uh, and no, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, every, everyone is limited by what they know and mm-hmm. and that's completely fine you know nobody can expect to can be expected to know everything especially not to the academic degree required to be able to write a really well fleshed out character with a perfect representation of that thing but i think that this just really highlights that the ability to have like diverse reads of different characters is so important you know because mm-hmm. you know it's not like every character written before 1980 was uh, straight and cis and uh, neurotypical and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, it's that that would be absurd. It, it's more right. like there was a diversity within fiction that maybe the authors didn't quite realize mapped to a real thing. But the people mm-hmm. in the audience who were that real thing would be like, hmm, I feel a strange affinity for this character. I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whew, that went on for a little yeah. bit. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, two very fun videos that came out of this week uh oh uh and one thing for the audience uh because i got some comments on that saying oh i can't believe you didn't include the owl house in the good representation (laughs) side it's just because i finished the video before that episode aired all right that's the only reason (laughs) uh like Mm -hmm. i mean you knew i was gonna rep that catradora smooch but i mean come on if i if i was gonna put the the lumity thing in there you know i would have uh but yeah, for you know, that actually that that kind of brings up an interesting point since the, mm-hmm. you talk about the Hayes Code in the video, uh, and obviously the Hayes Code does not exist anymore. But something mm-hmm. that I, I saw a number of comments about was how movies are still, uh, particularly Disney fe- animated features, are notorious for this, um, mm-hmm. but do kind of censor themselves to a point to appeal to international markets that do have stricter regulations on what can and can't be shown in their movies, and that is a perfectly valid point to bring up. Yeah. Um, uh, and a reason that a lot of queer coding does tend to still happen in a less explicit, like there's not a lot of explicit representation or you get the like eight headlines every time a new Disney feature comes out where it's the Disney's first openly gay character, except it's okay. like the third openly gay character that they've had. And I have ugh. a grievance. <laughs> I have several, but mm. I, all right, listen, I watched Cruella. Um, mm-hmm. I would not recommend that you watch Cruella for the record, uh, <laughs> but you may remember that uh, when Cruella was being promoted, uh, they mentioned that they were going to have Disney's first openly gay character, mm-hmm. uh, and it was going to be this like uh, swishy uh, clothing store guy, um, I believe, and mm-hmm. I saw his intro scene, all right? I-, I saw the movie, and if they thought Okay, I'm sorry. I gotta... Okay. (laughs) What he says when Cruella enters his shop and they, you know, they share little quips and they talk about each other's styles, uh, he gestures around the store and he says, I have everything a girl or boy could ever want. And that is the inflection he used. And I was like, if that's what they think out gay means, (laughs) or... Mm -hmm. 
spy or or whatever they were trying to imply with that. And then the only other thing he does later is he he knocks out a guy uh, with like a Vulcan neck pinch or something, which I assume they think is a gay coded <laughs> trait simply because of how original Trek works. Did he and call it like, the Vulcan? Wait, I'm sorry. I need to. Did he call it the Vulcan neck pinch or is that no, just the descriptor we're using? <laughs> that's what I'm. He did the okay. thing where the the bad guy is like looming over someone and then he gets mm. all startled looking and tips over and then there's like this twink behind him and it's like oh yeah. I guess he uh, alright hmm I wonder okay. how he did that and it's just like no wonder Disney keeps having first like like eight first gay characters they never actually confirm it canon anywhere they just put it in all the promotional material and then mm-hmm. nothing so it's like of, co- of course they can keep moving the goalposts it's like oh LeFou is the first gay character but he's not out we're just gonna have him uh, dance with a guy for 1.5 easily cuttable seconds and oh uh, the this character yes. is the first uh gay character she's a very butch looking cop in that animated uh orc movie mm. or whatever and then it's like onward it's you you can just pick a character and say that at this rate like it's ugh. yeah i mean it's it's that it's part really frustrating that movie was stupid <laughs> in a lot of ways but that part i was like oh so you were lying we can just lie now <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, it's definitely, I think, a good point to bring up, if only to point out why in in more of these animated series or uh, non-Disney feature films are tend to be the ones that actually have uh, queer representation in them. And for the record, I expect a clothing store to have clothing for men and women. (laughs) That's not like a special trait that you have. That doesn't imply anything about the direct, like the the manager of the local (laughs) H&M. Whatever. (laughs) <laughs> Incredible. Oh. Uh, well, speaking of uh, gender-neutral apparel items, we have an update on the the Hera and uh, was it Hera and Zeus? Zeus, right? Zeus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, for everyone who ordered the Zeus and Hera pins, uh, they should be shipping out within a week. Uh, basically, what happened is uh, they arrived, and all of the Zeus pins had a little coloring error. Uh, it, mm. it was like it was a design error. It was noticeable enough that I didn't want to ship them out as they were. Um, so basically, uh, replacements have been rush ordered. They're going to be shipped out pretty much as soon as possible. Sorry about the delay, but they are coming and they look really mm. cool. Yeah, yes. so that that's fun. Super fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think if that is the only announcement that we have, we can move <laughs> on to the uh, the Q and A portion of the podcast. Oh Ooh, yeah. I never get to say that. That's super. <laughs> I've. Oh yeah, you you normally don't say that. How no, strange. I say the other half of it, but right. never the, yeah, no, yeah. I never Please. get to introduce the Q&A. <laughs> well, all right then. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. I am really getting good at that spiel. I used to struggle <laughs> through it a lot, and it's, we're really turning it around. Uh, these Hell questions yeah. <laughs> all come from you guys, our loyal listeners, from again over at Ask OS Pod on Discord. And this first question comes from one of our lovely, lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, continue to feed our favorite cat, Cleo, consider becoming a patron and have your question potentially read first on the podcast. This question comes from Justine Winters to Red. You learn Blue has been entangled into the confusing and contradictory politics of the fairy courts, and he may be lost <laughs> to the Feywild forever unless a price is paid, a bargain is made, or a quest is played. Rhyming is hard. How do you ah. save him? So how, how are we saving Blue from his uh, his fairy faux pas, or whatever that may I, be? I mean, like, real talk. If you think I wouldn't jump at the chance for a fairy-mandated <laughs> quest into magical fantasy land... You're dreaming, bud. <laughs> like, be like, oh no, not my bud. Oh, oh no. quick, give me that magic sword and that green cape. I gotta go. <laughs> what a shame. Sorry, man. Be right back. Uh oh. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm oh, what a one. chore. <laughs> what a trial. Like, oh no, it's either this or I have to play poker with the king of the fae. No, man, I'm taking the quest. <laughs> Yeah, no, that sounds right. I mean, who wouldn't want to go on a yeah. grand adventure, really? Isn't that what we're all hoping right? for? Hmm. Blue would uh, be the one. From some wizard to descend on high and be like, <laughs> take this map, go on this quest. It's like, yes, I've waited for this day. <laughs> oh, oh man, we've all... You'd be lying if you said you weren't waiting for that owl at age, like, what was it, 12, 13? <laughs> Come on. It was a pretty depressing 12th birthday, mm. honestly. <laughs> I mean, it had a lot of upsides, but I was like, 
I'll never go to Hogwarts oh, no. now. And uh, in hindsight, in hindsight, bullet dodge. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! All right. Ah, oh, jeez. Hey, hey. Uh, before we get into the rest of oh. it, uh, I, uh, I have a question for you Ooh. from our lovely, lovely Discord Spicy. users. Uh, and I'm dropping this one in because I feel like it might go long, <laughs> and I feel like you don't necessarily want me to spring this on you at the 55-minute mark. Um, <laughs> what probably Matt wise. asks, oh. yeah, <laughs> I, trust me, this is restraint. I love these things. I'd go for another half hour, but you're the one who has to do the editing, so mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Let's, be, let's be reasonable. Matt asks, to Indigo, what's your favorite bad movie and why? <sighs> Okay, this is a loaded question mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. But the first of them is that oh, yeah. I actually have several different categories of bad movies that I think that we should be operating <laughs> in. Okay, because because there's not not all bad movies are created equal and not all of them are bad for the same reasons. There, there are three right. major categories of quote unquote bad movie. Um, the first is those that were critically panned, but are still well constructed and I think are actually quite good, but just weren't well received so at that's their time. Speed that's, that's the, yeah, Speed Racer is like racer. my prime right, example yeah. of that. Um, you know, it's, right. it's objectively, it's a well-crafted movie. It just wasn't well-received. So that's why it often is maligned mm. as bad. The second category are movies that are technically uh, poorly constructed, but still really fun to watch. So these are where a lot of your like direct-to-TV sci-fi movies mm. are sitting. Um, Ghost Shark is my go-to example for this category. You know, it's a, it's, <laughs> if you haven't watched Ghost oh, Shark, really? I highly recommend it. It's about a, a ghost shark. And the way that that becomes an issue is the ghost shark can appear in any body of water. So, for example, um, a bathtub counts and also a slip and slide. Uh, <laughs> it's uh-huh. there's no there's not really any constructive plot. But again, it, it's it's got mediocre CGI and none of the writing is really all that great. But it's a lot of fun to watch. And that's why it's why it's a bad uh-huh. movie. And of course, the third category of bad movies are the bad bads. These are ones that are. Poorly constructed and not any fun to watch. Uh, this is where your Jupiter mm. Ascendings and your Avatar The Last Airbender <laughs> sit, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that it's important when you're discussing bad movies to consider all three categories because I, I may potentially look at bad movies a bit more critically than the average Joe does. But, yeah. uh, you know, if someone asks what's your favorite bad movie, point blank, you know, I've got to give them the whole spiel. So depending, it depends think... on category. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think... You know, obviously, we know what your favorite uh-huh. uh, critically yes. panned but still very functional movie is, mm-hmm. and it, it is interesting. You know, it's, it's always good to point out that like what what constitutes a bad movie is very subjective mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, I mean, part of the re- like when I started off being like, "Hey, give me a bad movie to watch," it was honestly because I like a lot of quote unquote bad movies mm-hmm. because it's like, look, just because you think it's stupid uh, or or you think you're too cool to enjoy this <laughs> doesn't mean I'm gonna deprive yeah. myself just because you disapprove you know uh and i have seen some some pretty fun movies that way uh uh i believe the only one i can think of right now is scooby-doo 2 monsters oh, unleashed it but um <laughs> it does it, it oddly does kind of yeah. um but you know uh critically panned can mean all kinds of stuff. i mean i watched venom twice for god's sake and uh <laughs> i'll stand by that decision yeah. that's a well put together movie it looks good the cgi is good the acting's mm-hmm. solid the only reason people are like this movie's dumb is because the premise is dumb mm-hmm. and the premise has always been dumb. Come on guys. <laughs> um, and then there's the, there's the stinkers, which are just like bad in a lot of ways. Um, and you know, I, I everyone knows that we've watched Jupiter ascending mm. and uh, it was, it was bad. Mm. It was weirdly yes. bad despite looking really nice yeah. and sounding pretty yeah. good. Uh, specifically soundtrack wise. It was weirdly bad. It was, it was, it was weird yeah um, but i i just got to remember the the dune movie oh, not God. the new one the <laughs> old one that one was mm. bad that one was all kinds of bad and it was so funny yeah i think like when people ask like what's your favorite bad movie they're typically looking for that middle category where like technically bad but you really have a good time watching it because a lot of the critically mm, panned yes because a lot of the critically panned bad movies are super subject- subjective about whether or not they're actually bad because Mm-hmm. Um, usually they just either had a poor reputation when they came out and then they've kind of become lo- beloved later on, which is what I would say is probably happening to Speed Racer, for example, the go-to example. Yeah. Um, or, you know, critics didn't like them, but audiences did, which is a, a whole other category, a whole other discussion into itself, like whether or not media yeah. criticism, even uh, crit- critics are even valid. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. looking at the quintessential bad movie, like what's a bad movie you'd recommend to someone to watch because it is bad, that middle category of 
technically poor production value, but I have a really good time watching it either because the story is kind of kooky and fun or it's just silly, but in an entertaining way uh, is where you want to operate because the bad bads just aren't any fun. And my my personal belief is that movies should first be entertaining and I'm using entertaining in a very broad sense here as something that makes you want to keep watching it and draws you in. So even if the story is depressing, you're in immersed in that story um and at no point watching jupiter ascending did i feel immersed in the world of jupiter (laughs) ascending (laughs) what but that sizzling romantic chemistry (laughs) see the movie struck episode on that movie more on that particular uh please do it's longer than the movie itself (laughs) (laughs) and probably is better production value but uh, you know um I, i i really i actually have a really deep love for those like straight to tv sci-fi movies that inspired uh sharknado you know that there's so many shark movies mm. in lake placid which i'm if i remember correctly is like alligators or something uh and oh, there's great. just there's a lot of like really goofy nonsense monster movies um a lot of the like later godzilla movies fall into this category for me where it's like okay these are definitely Ooh. like a giant um uh guy in a suit standing in a, <laughs> in a very weird background oh, okay. but, i mean Oh, God, dude. I watched Destroy All Monsters back to back with the original Godzilla. Ooh, very and like different. original Godzilla, they were they were doing everything in their power to make him look real yeah. and scary. And it works mm-hmm. like incredibly well. It's just like, you know, if you squint, you're like, that's a guy in a suit mm-hmm. and that's a miniature set. But it's not it doesn't like give you that impression that it's black and white. They keep the lighting dark for the most part, although we do see him in like mm-hmm. broad daylight just behind a hill. And he looks pretty goofy, honestly. <laughs> and then you watch Destroy All Monsters, and it's like you're watching the WWE, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, but who's this coming in with the steel chair? It's Son of Godzilla Whoa. from the movie Son of Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. he's just like jumping up and down on one of Ghidorah's heads, and you're like, wow, <laughs> scintillating. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's a lot of like movies with mediocre special effects or like kind of dumb action movies are in that middle category i think and i'm trying to think of like a good mm. one movie example to give that isn't ghost shark for that although really i i cannot recommend ghost shark highly enough there's a scene where a man slip and slides <laughs> into a ghost shark's like <laughs> come on what more could you want um i thought the danger of slip and slides was those cutty uh, plastic edges nope it's been the ghost sharks all they're along <laughs> they can appear in oh, any knew, body of water and they're taking that as liberally as possible in this movie um for some reason i'm remembering um I think it's Mission Impossible 2. Mm. Uh, is that the John Woo one <sighs> where his hair's really swishy <laughs> and they, they do like the thing where they ride the motorcycles at each other and they crash into each other and then they fly oh. off the motorcycles <laughs> and grab each other in midair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone oh, seems to cite great. that one as the dumb one, but frankly, I think Tom Cruise's hair has never looked better. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just dumb action fun, you know. It's the part of the reason the the Fast and the Furious movies yeah. have as much of a lifespan as they do is it's at a certain point you want to just go watch I'll a watch movie where a lot of cars go. Uh, red, we're gonna marathon them at some point. Like, <laughs> you can, oh we're, hell we're, yeah, lock it in now, lock it in all the podcasts. I'm locking <laughs> red, it red in. in to go our marathon <laughs> the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, hell yeah, we are. You know, dumb action flicks can be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, they're and they're not the most story heavy and they're not necessarily like the most artfully crafted, but even if they're bad, like uh, I really liked the Bloodshot movie, which is a controversial opinion. Uh. <laughs> not because it yep. is a good movie in any sense of the word, but I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, yeah. It's like, you're telling me you're not going to a movie theater to watch Tom Cruise jump out of an explosion yeah, surrounded by doves? I mean, like, come on, come man. On. Get out of here. Get out of here. Uh Get out of here. There's a lot, there's a lot of joy to be had okay. in this movie. So we, I think we've gotten away from the original mm. uh, thrust of the question, which was right, name yeah, one favorite bad favorite movie. Bad movie. Yeah. Uh, Speed Racer is my go-to answer, but Ghost Shark is probably mm-hmm. up there as well. Um, and it changes on the weekly because I watch a lot of bad movies, uh, both by choice <laughs> and not by choice. <laughs> uh, because of the yeah. concept of my own podcast, which I have absolutely <laughs> no control over what I am watching for that. Uh yeah, yeah, I guess that that bit of a tangent. But uh, we've got some other questions to get through here, so let's put Red on the spot instead. Yeah. This one comes from yeah. <laughs> the Phoenix Force to Red. When you were cre- creating your comic Aurora, which is a stunning and immersive oh, comic, God. by the way, 
what did you create uh, or put more focus on first? The characters or the story and the plot, the world building? I ask because I'm trying to write my own original novel based on Greek mythology, but I'm having difficulty creating Ooh. believable characters and a good story that plays along with the world I'm trying to build all simultaneously. So, so Red, you know, what was your approach mm. in developing Aurora? Um, did you have something you focused on first? Uh, and sort of like advice. Well, I mean, this is difficult because as I have mentioned before, I started working on Aurora when I was 11. Mm -hmm. I was in fifth grade. I was ferociously bored, <laughs> and I needed something to doodle in class. Uh, so first, like, the first thing I was focusing on was probably, like, edgy fifth grade. You know, I've read some manga, and it really influenced my <laughs> style, so I'm drawing eyes all over everything. You know, mm -hmm. like, that stuff. So it's, like, was it plot? Was it characters? I don't know. It was probably the edgy stuff. Um as for, you know, developing the version that is actually, like, a real thing now, um, I put most of the focus on the characters first. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'll freely admit this is a bias of mine. I very much engage with stories through the characters. Um, I will basically be willing to engage with any story as long as I think the characters are solid and the story writes them well. Mm. Uh, so, you know, and, and it's one of my, uh, my principles that, you know, if you write a story with solid characters it almost doesn't matter what you do to those characters or, or what the plot is as long as people want as long as they care about the characters and are invested in their success and you know happiness so the, but that's you know that's one school of thought i've divided uh storytelling up into three parts before characters plots and themes mm -hmm. um i don't tend to work very much with themes uh but blue is a huge fan of them so i would be remiss <laughs> in not mentioning them yes and a lot of stories are almost entirely about the themes. I mean, mm -hmm. I mentioned this back when I did post-apocalypses. You know, it's a, a lot of the, a lot of those stories are almost entirely theme. Uh, there's no plot. There's barely any characters. It's just about the vibe. Um, and then there's a lot of stories that are plot-driven, where like the characters, you know, they exist, but they're fundamentally vehicles to drive the plot. And I don't know if I just don't like that so much, or if it's actually bad. It's a little hard for me to tell. Mm. You know, it's subjective. Um, but my personal approach is always to start with the characters. Uh, I, I get really into their heads. Um, I just kind of, you know, build them up in my head. I, I've talked about this occasionally. I've got a, a Tumblr specifically for the comic where I take asks, and, and sometimes people will ask me, like, how did this part go? And I'll be like, okay, look, what happened there is I started drawing the page, and this character wrestled the keyboard away from me and started doing their <laughs> own thing. Wasn't expecting that, but who the fuck? How am I? Sp I guess the character would know better than me what they want to do. <laughs> um so uh, that, that's one of the unexpected side effects of getting really deep in the character writing, I mm -hmm. think, is that a lot of times the characters almost take on a life of their own. Like, you know, you put them in a situation and when, when they're in your head, you're like, I don't know how they'll react necessarily, or I think they'll do this and that serves the plot. And then when you start drawing it, you're like, oh, no, actually, they're absolutely feeling this in this moment, and that's going to make them want to say this instead. And... um. Yeah, you know, I, I've talked about this before. I, I feel like there's never a single choice for what a character should do in mm -hmm. a situation. There's always a lot of choices that make sense for a character. I mean, uh, oh, God, I have a post about this is the problem. Like, I, I wrote this all up <laughs> in the lengthy format, which means, of course, it's not in my head anymore. Mm. Uh, but, like, you know, if you can take any character and put them in a situation and justify them doing something or them doing something completely different. So, like, you know, you... Stock ar archetype, the like the hot-headed, impulsive Lancer character. Mm -hmm. You know that guy. We, we all know that guy. Mm -hmm. Early two thousand emo hot boy archetype. We know yeah, this guy. You know, to continue uh, calling back to the various ways that I have been specifically called out on stream in the last <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. not? You know. Um, but you know, we we put that guy in like a tense diplomatic situation, and we can easily justify this guy flying off the handle, causing problems. You know that that's easy peasy. That's trivial. We could also justify this guy being surprisingly restrained and chill because it occurs to them maybe that, like, patience is the hardest battle of all. <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, like, what, what would it take for a character like that to swallow their pride, mm -hmm. you know? Like, you can always have a character act in unexpected ways that are still in character. And I think, you know, you can only find those spaces if you're really into that character, if you're just really inside their head. Mm -hmm. Um and frankly speaking, you know, I, I think it is useful going into a story having an overarching plot line. Like, mm -hmm. I've got a bunch of projects on backburners and stuff where I have all the characters and no idea what plot to put them <laughs> in. Like, like I've got a world, I've got the characters, I don't know how to make the twain meet, you know? And so, mm -hmm. so when you're writing a story, having the plot is important, but 
I feel like, you know, you kind of got to develop it in tandem with the characters because the, the characters need to be character enough to be willing to at least sort of hit the major beats on your plot, mm. you know, because otherwise, if, if it's not in character for a character to do something you need them to do to forward the plot, then making them do that is going to railroad things a little bit, and, and that doesn't feel great. And if you have a character established and then you write them out of character, that doesn't make the audience think, oh, why did the character do that? That was dumb of them. They think, why did the writer do that? That wasn't good writing. <laughs> like, you can have characters make bad, unwise decisions. Um, I, oh God, uh, sorry, I've recently realized this in uh, The Owl House, uh -huh. the show we keep circling yes, back to for some reason. Because um, it's great. The main character, yeah, it's great. Uh, the main character, Luz, uh, and frankly, all the characters are written in such a way that they frequently make decisions that, like, aren't necessarily good decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, you're looking at that and you're like, that's unhealthy, or, you know, like, oh, why, why can't she just be honest with her mom? Why, why won't she just, you know, do this? And then, you know, you, you watch it and you're like, but I'm not thinking this is bad writing. I'm wondering why the character, or, or I'm rooting for the character to get their act together enough to realize that this is bad. And that's good writing. Mm -hmm. That means that you recognize that the character is making an unwise decision that, like, hampers the plot. And you're still like, ooh, I really hope she gets enough character development to feel comfortable enough with herself to be able to accept this about herself. And, you, you know, mm -hmm. like, rather than looking at the writer and being like, why are you slowing things down, man? <laughs> Get us to the finale already. So, so that's a sign of good writing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I've talked about... Bad writing makes you aware of the hand of the author. And if you take a character who probably wants to go in one direction and you, like, twist them around so they're going in another direction you know, the audience might spot you from the sidelines, twisting this character around. So yeah, uh, start with characters, I think, but, you know, don't neglect plot. Mm -hmm. you, you know, the characters need to serve the plot on some level. You need them to be able and willing to do the things you need them to do for whatever overarching plot you're trying to write. Yeah, and I, I think to kind of like tie world building into it as well, I, I've written a few mm -hmm. uh, uh, shorts and things in the past, and, I, you know, starting with story and characters has always been my go-to as well, because I find that it the story you're telling tends to inform the world you need to tell that story in. So yeah. it's often mm -hmm. easier to know the story that you want to tell and, or know the characters that you want to place and then build the world around them that works so that you can tell that story. And uh, doing the opposite direction is sometimes great for things like if you're writing a D&D &D 5e campaign, for example, sometimes starting with the mm -hmm. world is excellent because then characters will place themselves within it. But if you're trying to tell a very specific story, um, you, you can take some liberties and make the, the world that you're building work for the story you want to tell rather than, than vice versa. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I will also categorically warn against one thing, which is if you're writing out the plot, you might be tempted to like really lock in an ironclad story timeline mm -hmm. before you do any proper writing. I mean, I did that. Like I, I had a huge document just sitting on my computer for a year because it was too unwieldy for me to work with like <laughs> I, I had every plot beat I wanted to hit the whole first arc was completely fleshed out and I used maybe a quarter of that in the version that actually hmm. finalized online and like even uh even with the arc we're currently in um it, there's a degree to which like I, I know where it's going but I'm kind of laying the tracks as we go and um you know, on, on some level, you, you can't just rewrite what you're working on in the middle of it. But if you're if you're working on the next arc and you've got a few options, a lot of times it's probably going to naturally want to flow in a direction you didn't plan in the planning phase. And if you're too locked in, if it's too rigid, you might find yourself adhering to a plan that doesn't even work for mm -hmm. you anymore. Um, like there needs to be an element of flexibility because, again, as mentioned, sometimes the characters will do things you don't expect and that can take the plot in weird directions or open up all <laughs> kinds of weird subplots or dynamics and, and stuff. And and if you open this up and then, you you know, you don't ever explore it, that that's a bit of a wasted potential. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you probably want a top-down perspective on your story. And if you set up any mysteries, you have to know the solutions going yes. into it. I, we, we do I can't not stress this enough. J.J. Abrams' mystery boxes on this channel. No. no. Dude, just solve Look, your mysteries. The audience can never have more information than the writer. The writer needs to know the solution to any mystery they write before they put it down, because otherwise any solution they come up with later will not account for everything and will not work as well as it mm -hmm. would have if they knew going into it. So if you have any mysteries in your story, you need to you need to know the solution beforehand. But if it's just like the linear progression of events to get from point A to point B, there can be all kinds of flexibility there. And if you lock yourself in too rigidly, it's going to make the characters suffer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just wanted to throw that one out there. Yeah. 
some some quality writing advice and also uh, good luck with the development of your own yes projects love I, I always love it when we, when we get questions from people who are like I'm starting my own project because you know I, I'm of the opinion that like the best thing you can do to become good at whatever you want to become good at is just to do it and so uh oh yeah yeah we're happy to give it yeah, advice do it and like accept that it might not be good the first time yeah. and and well, frankly speaking, I think that the biggest thing about art is that you will never be perfect. Mm -hmm. And that is just true, which means you will always be able to find things in your work to improve, which means you'll always be able to get better. That's yeah. that's great. It does mean that you'll be looking back at your work from six months ago and being like, eh, but you know, yeah, we've all you got get used like, to that feeling middle eventually. school sketchbooks full of like poorly drawn anime OCs. Like, <laughs> and then only you, because you I haven't burned mine yet. <laughs> and then you develop your own style and you get better over time and it's lots of fun. Uh, but mm -hmm. we'll, we'll move on to another question. This comes from uh, Mr. Waffle in Love. To all, what are your favorite villains? Can be from any series, film, book, comic, etc. Felt appropriate since Ooh. we just had a, a villain-related trope talk. So who are, who are some bad guys and gals and non-binary pals that you, you really love? I mean, I gotta rep my boy David Xanatos. <laughs> and correspondingly, Demona. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, look, David Xanatos is, there's a reason he's the thumbnail for the Magnificent mm -hmm. Bastards video. Mm -hmm. What's, and what's great about that is you don't even need to know who he is. Yep. You could just see him sitting like that and be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what villain we're talking about today. <laughs> um, but like, David Xanatos is great because he's got his shit together. He's mm -hmm. so fun because he's always in control. He's always got a plan. On the rare occasions he doesn't, he's not like... He's still unflappable, you know? He's He gets his act together. Yeah. And then the exact opposite, his villainous foil, Demona. <laughs> an absolute piping hot mess of just so much, like, emotional issues and sunk cost fallacy. This is all from Gargoyles, by the way, a show everybody yes. should watch except for the third season. Don't watch the third season. And honestly, you can <laughs> skip around the second season. But everybody should still watch it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's really good. And she's, oh, man, she's so cool. And... Key point, they're played by uh, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis, respectively. Uh, like, outperforming, like, <laughs> more acting in those two roles than they had in the entire run of TNG collectively. <laughs> it's so cool. And it's it's funny because I've been watching some TNG and it's like, Riker, you know, he he's normally pretty, like, stoic mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of emotion in his voice and then you just hear Xanatos talk and, like, he, <laughs> I thought that Xanatos kind of sounded a little bit flat a lot of the time, I, honestly. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, he's, I mean, he's in the same show as Keith David, who is, of course, acting everyone under the table. <laughs> but then, you know, you're, you're watching this and you're like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's a little bit flat, but it kind of mm -hmm. works. And then you watch TNG and you're like, oh, no, no, he's brimming with emotion. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Uh, I've been recently binging a lot of procedurals for no particular reason other than uh, I really like procedurals, but I keep getting mm. blindsided by how many Star Trek alums show up for like one episode roles. Like I, I watched 11 seasons of NCIS and ran into both Odo and Deanna Troy in the course of doing that. And in Criminal Minds, uh, you know, <laughs> good old Riker showed up at one point and I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't yeah. belong here. Uh, so, you know, they, they probably yeah. not all the time. Uh, ooh, favorite villains. Mm, there's so many. Uh, I don't know are. if this is the correct answer to the question, but I do really like Pumpkin Rapper from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers because it's a pumpkin who raps. And I think fundamentally, like, that's all I'm looking for in a fun villain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay. He's, he's pumpkin rapping is about to happen, and then you got to fight him. And, right. like, that's it. That's you're, You get right into it, you know? Uh, but awesome. I, a lot of the, a lot of the magnificent bastards of the world out there are really the favorites, you know? you got to yeah, love someone yeah. with just all that panache. Yeah, that flair. Mm. Oh, yeah, I, I, got a, I got a few comments... <laughs> The spiciest comments I got on the queer quote of villain trope were like, "How dare you imply that Gaston is not a beloved villain?" I was like, "Really? <laughs> you guys like Gaston? <laughs> okay, people love him. But, people love him. Uh, I mean, yeah. I guess that is the whole point. Yeah, that, that people love him despite the fact that he sucks. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's handsome. Yeah, you know, oh, I really geez. like a lot of the Disney villains, but I don't think any of them are my favorites. But I also didn't. No. I, you know what? My favorite Disney villain is probably Edgar from the Aristocats. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I just because I don't know. I think that's the movie that I watched the most as a kid. That and like Robin Hood. So um, mm. those are the villains that like logged in as like classics for me. But uh, I almost feel like the problem with Disney villains is that no matter what their personality is, they always have to do the exact same third mm -hmm. act villainy. Like yeah. They, they all, you know, they get a little bit disheveled and they, they all start yelling and, and 
I mean, it's like, you know, Hades and Hercules. He's got a fun, chill personality, like a used car salesman. And then he still <laughs> has to do the same, like, yes, the apocalypse, let's yeah. do it. C- come, heroes. And it's like, meh. Mm. All right. No, you get a lot of, I feel like you get a lot more interesting villains in long-running series and things. Like, TV shows yeah. are, tend to be good places to look for some very fun uh, reoccurring villains. Um, comics yes. tend to have some very fun ones in there. Um, because, of course, you know, they... The, the the disclaimer with all Magneto, comics villains. What am is... I doing? It's gotta be Magneto. Yeah, he's barely a villain. I mean, come on. He's he's. It depends on who's writing him and in what run. That's, I think yes, I don't know true. what currently he is, but, but he was solidly mm. a villain for a while before what getting I like like, about antagonist Magneto. status and then like anti-hero status and then actually a hero and then sort of back to being a villain. It's a he's yeah. got a ride. Well, part of the problem is that sometimes when they write him, they sort of like give him generic villain things to mm-hmm. do it's 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 the amon effect i've talked about yeah. before you know you have a villain who has a really good point so you need to make him evil in other directions <laughs> so that we don't examine how he's kind of right a lot of the time yep. and uh like when 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 magneto and xavier are being written well it's like this is an ideological conflict between two old boyfriends and i totally get it you know i i get why they're like this <laughs> and that's really solid and then sometimes it's like I mean, he's dressed like Magneto, but he's basically a Disney villain. And yeah. I don't like those versions of Magneto. I, I like I like the uh, the old queen versions of Magneto. Or um, <laughs> the version of him in uh, God Loves, Man Kills is really mm, solid because yeah. that's one of those uh, arcs that really kind of highlights like, hey, he's not building a death ray or anything. This is ideological, and he is fully on the side of the good guys. And they're like, <laughs> Magneto, you're a villain. And he's like, excuse you, they kidnapped Charles. Obviously, I'm helping you. Shut up. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. This is great. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and whenever wanna... Charles is out of commission, Magneto basically shows up at the mansion and is like, I'm in charge now. And they're like, but he, I mean, aren't you a supervillain? And it's like, oh, is that what they're telling you? Yeah. He's All like, right. We have, we have shared custody. I'm just usually out of town. And so yeah. We... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we resolved this years ago completely amicably. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, I mean, look. The old X-Men movies are dumb as all hell, but come on. You gotta love it. Xavier I mean, and Magneto are top notch. It's like we got two of the best actors we ever. We got two of the best actors with, the with most two of chemistry. the best. Yeah, they have like some of the, the best relationship in all of all of the screen. <laughs> yeah, got, just a couple old queens playing chess and together. <laughs> McKellen, and we said, come play chess in fun costumes. And they were like, absolutely. Can I be a Everyone else dramatic? in those movies is just like doing their best. And then like there, there's Hugh Jackman who's just like, I'm just here to be gruff and jacked. Yeah. And then there's like, there's there's Charles Xavier and Magneto acting like this is a Shakespeare production, and just it's. Ugh. I mean, I mean, look, look, those movies are worth it just for the intro scene mm-hmm. in the hallway mm-hmm. when Magneto's been fully in shadow the whole time, and uh, yeah, he like taps his head and he's like, "What are you looking for in there, Charles?" And he says, "I'm looking for hope." And he turns around in full light for the first time, and you see it's Ian McClellan, and he says, "I will bring you hope, old friend." And it's like, yes. <laughs> And then go and get coffee and play chess together, you beautiful man. Oh, it's fantastic. God, I gotta rewatch those movies. I know. Uh, we we got time for I think one more question, so we'll we'll mm. do another. We're we're on a bit of a film tangent, so we'll keep that going. Mm-hmm. Um, this mm-hmm. comes from Boom Noodle Snick to all. What are your favorite cult classic films and why? <laughs> Just curious. Mine is The Goonies because I grew up watching it. So what's a you know what's a what's a cult classic you really hold near and dear to your heart? That's tricky i i'm almost not sure how to define cult classic um i I like to think of it as like it's it's popular within a very like a subset but if you just bring up the movie to any random person they might not recognize it like i would say like jaws and um, jurassic park are not cult classics because even if you haven't seen those movies you probably have at least some cultural touch point for them Uh, my my favorite cult classic film is probably clue the movie but uh, mm. it, which is an excellent movie, great turn by Tim Curry, and has a, one of the <laughs> funniest theatrical releases of, of any movie ever um, because it has three separate endings, and when they played it in right. theaters, they just played one of the three endings, and this was, like, pre-internet, so if you saw a different <laughs> ending than your friend did, you would have to just sort of both argue about it while both being correct, and that concept alone rockets it to the top of my, like, enjoyment list. Um Hilarious. But, you know, like, if I mention Clue the movie to any rando off the street, they might not know it, uh, but it's certainly very popular within a, a subset of a community that has seen it. So I would say, like, a cult classic is, like, very popular within a smaller group than, like, an, your average blockbuster would be. How would you classify a Muppet Christmas Carol? Yeah, it could be a cult classic. 
All right, well, that one's definitely up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got more, I guess, cult classic shows that I like. Because yeah. there's a lot of shows. This is not just an excuse for me to mention Reboot again. There <laughs> are a say. lot of shows <laughs> that I like that I feel like maybe four other people on the planet know about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, uh, when we were when we were compiling things for the Himbo tier list, I was oh, yes. briefly scrolling through basically all the cartoons I've recently watched. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, I forgot about Stormhawks. Who the fuck knows about oh, Stormhawks? Oh, my God. Imagine my surprise when you were like, oh shit, Stormhawks! I, I, I genuinely could not tell you anything about the plot. I went back and watched the intro to the show to like refresh myself because I thought about those when I was in when I was when I was a wee indigo, I uh-huh. loved the style of that show and so I used to try and draw as close to it as possible. Huh. But all these really? years later I know, it's not it's not because the show looks good in hindsight, but at the time <laughs> I was like, Yeah man, this is like the pinnacle of art. Uh, I mean it's definitely unique. <laughs> uh and <laughs> And then I, the last, like, several times in the last couple of months, I've actually been thinking about, like, man, what was that show called? I can picture it in my mind, but I can't think of the title. And then you said Stormhawks, and all right. at once, like, being smashed in the face with a wave in the ocean, I was like, oh, my God, Stormhawks. <laughs> I mean, I I know I watched it. Yeah. I just can't I remember. I know the blonde guy I mean, was goofy, the, and then there was, like, the... There was- there was a big crystal at one point, uh-huh, uh-huh. possibly a couple big they crystals. They had like skateboards uh, that they, but yeah, they could sky like fly. skateboards, which that's probably explains yeah. why I watched it. <laughs> and uh, Scott McNeil played the uh, the green the, dude, the green dude, mm-hmm. the green dude with the like horse face. Mm-hmm. He was kind of cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what his deal was. The fandom seems to like him more than any other character. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. You know, sometimes when you see a character and you're just like, that's who the fans are gonna like. It's always the like, <laughs> come on. What? <laughs> I don't know. The, the people tend to like the like emo ones, you know. There's a reason that the early 2000s emo hot boys, which he does not fall into categorically. But no, that, he doesn't. <laughs> but that's a category for that's very popular for a reason, you know. People like the goths. People like the emo. Look, it's the yeah, subculture. but that show has a goth. It's called the main villain and her right hand <laughs> bad guy. And the, like the right hand bad guy is total fangirl bait. And instead, mm. everyone was like, "I want that one. I want the trash man. <laughs> mm, sticky I want the boy. one who's scared all the time." <laughs> yes. You just want it to was protect. Totally surreal. Uh, yeah, but right. I don't classic. even know if I liked that show. <laughs> I don't know if either, but I, I just you, you hit me like a truck when you mentioned it. Right. Name. <laughs> but like uh, uh, cult classics. Cult, cult classics. classics. You can, uh, if you've got a cult classic TV show instead of movie, I think that we can, well, we can I mean, count that too. I I remember liking Labyrinth when I watched mm, it, but yeah. I think and and Dark Crystal. I like most Those of the. Those are definitely the, both uh, cult classics. Right, but yeah. like you know, those are those are just good movies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, the Henson Company Creature Shop. Uh, that that is Creature Shop, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's that. I yeah, um, I basically like all the stuff they do. Uh, although, admittedly, parts of Dark Crystal's effects haven't aged great. Uh, <laughs> most highlighted by the fact that they did Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance, a uh, sequel yes. series on Netflix <laughs> with like puppets, which was good. Like that was good that they did that. And it looks really nice, but then you compare that to the original and you're like, ooh, mm. <laughs> these puppets are like almost too good and they're making the original look real choppy. But, yes. you know, like people are like, oh, Labyrinth is upsetting because of, I don't know, David Bowie's upsetting pants. And it's like, what? why are you focusing on the pants? Focus <laughs> on literally anything else in this movie. Yeah. I think those are great, actually, quintessential cult classic examples because they're very good, right. but they just sort of yeah. only attracted a very niche audience. Um it, it's cult Dude. classics are sort of like the anti-blockbuster without being bad movies like it's it we've mm. talked about pre- my previous bad movie categories cult classics usually fall into that first category of like critically panned or just didn't have a wide reception and so are often not held in high regard but are actually right. typically quite good i mean i guess the, part of it is uh is like the hype for it because before mm-hmm. i watched either of those movies uh we had uh in my house growing up we had these um these books about the making of the Muppets mm. and, and like the creature shop things and the effects. And I remember uh, some of them had like some some prototype CGI like models for like a CGI centaur and how they did all the muscle modeling. And I was like, wow. Uh, and then they had these like these stills from the movie with captions. And there's this one bit from like the, the very climax of Dark Crystal where the, the, the kid has like the crystal. It's like as the... As the planets reach uh, 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 equilibrium overhead, uh, protagonist prepares to plunge the crystal into the heart of the corrupted. I was like, wow, this is the tightest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> and I watched the movie and I was like, it really is kind of that cool. Um, so like, I, I was primed for it, you know? Like there, mm-hmm. there's nothing quite like seeing a production still with a really 
like descriptive and lurid caption to really just get the imagination flowing you know you're yeah. like wow what does the story mean how did we get here mm-hmm. and like people people give that movie crap for like that one bit where they go off the cliff and yes. then the girl flies him away and he's <laughs> like you have wings i don't have wings and she says of course not you're a boy and i was like I think that's kind of clever, you know? I like that bit of little world building, just a little bit of, you know, species dimorphism. It's not like this kid knows anyone else of his species. He wouldn't know that. I think that's kind (laughs) of neat. I don't know why people get butthurt about that. Maybe they're just mad because if they were Gelflings, they wouldn't be able to fly. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Spicy. Uh, Yeah, hot take alert. (laughs) Hot take alert. (laughs) Let Indigo and Red go loose in media and you will get at least one of those per, uh, per podcast God. slash after dark uh but we're i we're... need to rewatch the muppet show real yes talk. Uh, real, oh and fraggle God, rock yes. i just gotta i'm gonna hit myself in the face with the hammer of nostalgia <laughs> good stuff yeah well, well we'll let you get to that because we're coming up on time so we'll, we'll set you free <laughs> to go uh whack away um but <laughs> incredible red, red do you are you prepared to take us out are you are you ready i for actually this am i i've got Ooh. i've got the template loaded up and everything because i had to do the intro this time and i wasn't oh. ready uh so <clears throat> thank you all so much for listening and if you want more of that sweet sweet osp content go check out our channel on youtube if you want to ask a question for the next pod you can follow the link in the description to the ask os pod channel on discord for a chance for your question to be featured on air until then, I've been red. I've not been blue. No, you have not. You've been indigo. Oh. Just as great. Aww. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on September 1st with another episode, but if you want more OSP before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OSPod on Discord for a chance to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.